Section forty one of the Journals of Robert Falcon Scott, Volume One, by Robert Falcon Scott. This is a LibriVox recording. Section forty one. Chapter nineteen. The return from the pole. Part two. Saturday, February the third. Return seventeen. Temperature. Lunch, minus twenty degrees. Supper, minus twenty degrees. Height, nine thousand and forty feet. Started pretty well on foot. Came to steep slope with crevasses. Few. I went on ski to avoid another fall, and we took the slope gently with our sail, constantly losing the track, but picked up a much-weathered cairn on our right. Vexatious delays, searching for tracks, etc., reduced morning march to eight point one miles afternoon came along a little better but again lost tracks on hard slope to-night we are near camp of december the twenty sixth but cannot see cairn have decided it is a waste of time looking for tracks and cairn and shall push on due north as fast as we can the surface is greatly changed since we passed outward in most places polished smooth but with heaps of new toothed sastrugi, which are disagreeable obstacles. Evans's fingers are going on as well as can be expected, but it will be long before you will be able to help properly with the work. Wilson's leg much better, and my shoulder also, though it gives bad twinges. The extra food is doing us all good, but we ought to have more sleep. Very few more days on the plateau, I hope. Sunday, February the 4th, return 18, 8,620 feet, temperature, lunch, minus 22, supper, minus 23. Pulled on foot in the morning, over good hard surface, and covered 9.7 miles. Just before lunch, unexpectedly fell into crevasses, Evans and I together. A second fall for Evans, and I camped. After lunch, saw disturbance ahead and what I took for disturbance, land, to the right. We went on ski over hard, shiny, descending surface. Did very well, especially towards end of March, covering in all 18.1 miles. We have come down some hundreds of feet. Halfway in the march the land showed up splendidly, and I decided to make straight for Mount Darwin, which we are rounding. Every sign points to getting away off this plateau, the temperature is twenty degrees lower than when we were here before. The party is not improving in condition, especially Evans, who is becoming rather dull and incapable. Thank the Lord we have good food at each meal, but we get hungrier in spite of it. Bowers is splendid, full of energy and bustle all the time. I hope we are not going to have trouble with ice-falls. Monday, February the 5th. Return 19. Lunch, 8,320 feet. Temperature, minus 17 degrees. Supper, 8,120 feet. Temperature, minus 17.2. A good forenoon. Few crevasses. We covered 10.2 miles. In the afternoon we soon got into difficulties. We saw the land very clearly, but the difficulty is to get at it. An hour after starting we came on huge pressures and great streak crevasses, partly open. We had to steer more and more to the west, so that our course was very erratic. 
Late in the march we turned more to the north, and again encountered open crevasses across our track. It is very difficult manoeuvring amongst these, and I should not like to do it without ski. We are camped in a very disturbed region, but the wind has fallen very light here, and our camp is comfortable for the first time for many weeks. We may be anything from twenty-five to thirty miles from our depot, but I wish to goodness we could see a way through the disturbances ahead. Our faces are much cut up by all the winds we have had, mine least of all. The others tell me they feel their noses more going with than against the wind. Evans's nose is almost as bad as his fingers. He is a good deal crocked up. Tuesday, February the 6th. Lunch, 7,900. Supper, 7,210. Temperature minus 15 degrees. We've had a horrid day, and not covered good mileage. On turning out, found sky overcast. A beastly position amidst crevasses. Luckily, it cleared just before we started. We went straight for Mount Darwin, but in half an hour found ourselves amongst huge open chasms, unbridged, but not very deep, I think. We turned to the north between two, but to our chagrin they converged into chaotic disturbance. We had to retrace our steps for a mile or so, then struck to the west and got on to a confused sea of sustrugi, pulling very hard. We put up the sail. Evans's nose suffered. Wilson very cold. Everything horrid. Camped for lunch in the Sustrugi, the only comfort, things looked clearer to the west, and we were obviously going downhill. In the afternoon we struggled on, got out of Sustrugi, and turned over on glazed surface, crossing many crevasses. Very easy work on ski. Towards the end of the march we realised the certainty of maintaining a more or less straight course to the depot, an estimate distance ten to fifteen miles. Food is low, and weather uncertain, so that many hours of the day were anxious. But this evening, though we are not as far advanced as I expected, the outlook is much more promising. Evans is the chief anxiety now. His cuts and wounds separate. His nose looks very bad, and altogether he shows considerable signs of being played out. Things may mend for him on the glacier, and his wounds get some respite under warmer conditions. I am indeed glad to think we shall so soon have done with plateau conditions. It took us twenty-seven days to reach the pole, and twenty-one back. In all, forty-eight days, nearly seven weeks in low temperature, with almost incessant wind. End of the summit journey. Wednesday, February the 7th. Mount Darwin, or Upper Glacier, Depot. Return 21, height 7,100, lunch temperature minus 9 degrees, supper temperature, a blank here. A wretched day, with satisfactory ending. First panic, certainty that biscuit box was short. Great doubt as to how this had come about, as we certainly haven't over-issued allowances. Bowers is dreadfully disturbed about it. The shortage is a full day's allowance. We started our march at 8.30, and travelled down slopes and over terraces covered with hard sustrugi, very tiresome work, and the land didn't seem to come any nearer. At lunch the wind increased, 
and what with hot tea and good food, we started the afternoon in a better frame of mind, and it soon became obvious we were nearing our mark. Soon, after six-thirty, we saw our depot easily, and camped next to it at seven-thirty. Found note from Evans to say the second return party passed through safely at two-thirty on January the 14th, half a day longer between depots than we have been. The temperature is higher, but there is a cold wind to-night. Well, we have come through our seven weeks' ice camp journey, and most of us are fit. But I think another week might have had a very bad effect on Evans, who is going steadily downhill. It is satisfactory to recall that these facts give absolute proof of both expeditions having reached the Pole, and placed the question of priority beyond discussion. Thursday, February the 8th, return 22 height 6,260, start temperature minus 11 degrees, lunch temperature minus 5 degrees, supper zero, 9.2 miles. Started from the depot rather late, owing to weighing biscuit, etc., and rearranging matters. Had a beastly morning, wind very strong and cold. Steered in for Mount Darwin to visit rock, sent bowers on, on ski as Wilson can't wear his at present. He obtained several specimens, all of much the same type, a close-grained granite rock which weathers red, hence the pink limestone. After he rejoined, we skidded downhill pretty fast. Leaders on ski. Oates and Wilson on foot alongside sledge. Evans detached. We lunched at two, well down towards Mount Buckley. The wind half a gale, and everybody very cold and cheerless. However, better things were to follow. We decided to steer for the moraine under Mount Buckley, and, pulling with crampons, we crossed some very irregular steep slopes with big crevasses, and slid down towards the rocks. The moraine was obviously so interesting that when we had advanced some miles and got out of the wind, I decided to camp and spend the rest of the day geologizing. It has been extremely interesting. We found ourselves under perpendicular cliffs of beacon sandstone, weathering rapidly and carrying veritable coal seams. From the last, Wilson, with his sharp eyes, has picked several plant impressions. The last, a piece of coal with beautifully traced leaves in layers. Also some excellently preserved impressions of thick stems, showing cellular structure. In one place we saw the cast of small waves on the sand. Tonight, Bill has got a specimen of limestone with archaeocyathus. The trouble is, one cannot imagine where the stone comes from. It is evidently rare, as few specimens occur in the moraine. There is a good deal of pure white quartz. Altogether, we have had a most interesting afternoon, and the relief of being out of the wind and in warmer temperature is inexpressible. I hope and trust we shall all buck up again, now that the conditions are more favourable. We have been in shadow all the afternoon, but the sun has just reached us, a little obscured by night haze. A lot could be written on the delight of setting foot on rock after fourteen weeks of snow and ice, and nearly seven out of sight of aught else. It is like going ashore after a sea voyage. We deserve a little good bright weather after all our trials, and hope to get a chance to dry our sleeping bags, and generally make our gear more comfortable. Friday, February the ninth, return twenty-three, height five thousand two hundred and ten feet, lunch temperature plus ten degrees, 
Supper temperature plus 12.5 degrees, about 13 miles. Kept along the edge of Moraine to the end of Mount Buckley. Stopped and geologized. Wilson got great find of vegetable impression on piece of limestone. Too tired to write geological notes. We all felt very slack this morning. Partly rise of temperature, partly reaction, no doubt. Ought to have kept close in to Glacier, north of Mount Buckley, but in bad light the descent looked steep, and we kept out. Evidently we got amongst bad ice pressure, and had to come down over an icefall. The crevasses were much firmer than expected, and we got down with some difficulty. Found our night camp of December the 20th, and lunched an hour after. Did pretty well in the afternoon, marching three and three-quarter hours. The sledge-meter is unshipped, so cannot tell distance traversed. Very warm on March, and we are all pretty tired. Tonight is wonderfully calm and warm, though it has been overcast all the afternoon. It is remarkable to be able to stand outside the tent and sun oneself. Our food satisfies now, but we must march to keep in the full ration, and we want rest. Yet we shall pull through all right. Pray God. We are by no means worn out. Saturday, February the 10th, return 24. Lunch temperature plus 12 degrees, supper temperature plus 10 degrees. Got off a good morning march, in spite of keeping too far east and getting in rough, cracked ice. Had a splendid night's sleep, showing great change in all faces, so didn't get away till 10 a.m. Lunch just before three. After lunch the land began to be obscured. We held a course for two and a half hours with difficulty. Then the sun disappeared, and snow drove in our faces with northerly wind. Very warm and impossible to steer, so camped. After supper, still very thick all round, but sun showing, and less snow falling. The fallen snow crystals are quite feathery, like thistle-down. We have two full days' food left, and though our position is uncertain, we are certainly within two outward marches from the middle glacier depot. However, if the weather doesn't clear by tomorrow, we must either march blindly on, or reduce food. It is very trying. Another night to make up arrears of sleep. The ice crystals that first fell this afternoon were very large. Now the sky is clearer overhead. The temperature has fallen slightly, and the crystals are minute. Sunday, February the 11th. Return 25. Lunch temperature minus 6.5 degrees. Supper minus 3.5 degrees. The worst day we have had during the trip, and greatly owing to our own fault. We started on a wretched surface with light southwest wind, sail set and pulling on ski. Horrible light, which made everything look fantastic. As we went on, light got worse, and suddenly we found ourselves in pressure. Then came the fatal decision to steer east. We went on for six hours, hoping to do a good distance, which in fact I suppose we did, but for the last hour or two we pressed on into a regular trap. Getting on to a good surface, we did not reduce our lunch meal, and thought all going well. But half an hour after lunch, we got into the worst ice mess I have ever been in. For three hours we plunged on, on ski, first thinking we were too much to the right, then too much to the left. Meanwhile, the disturbance got worse, and my spirits received a very rude shock. There were times when it seemed almost impossible to find a way out of the awful turmoil in which we found ourselves 
At length, arguing that there must be a way on our left, we plunged in that direction. It got worse, harder, more icy and crevassed. We could not manage our ski and pulled on foot, falling into crevasses every minute. Most luckily, no bad accident. At length we saw a smoother slope towards the land, pushed for it, but knew it was a woefully long way from us. The turmoil changed in character, irregular crevassed surface giving way to huge chasms, closely packed and most difficult to cross. It was very heavy work, but we had grown desperate. We won through at 10 p.m., and I write after twelve hours on the march. I think we are on or about the right track now, but we are still a good number of miles from the depot, so we are reduced rations to-night. We had three pemmican meals left, and decided to make them into four. Tomorrow's lunch must serve for two, if we do not make big progress. It was a test of our endurance on the march, and our fitness with small supper. We have come through well. A good wind has come down the glacier, which is clearing the sky and surface. Pray God the wind holds to-morrow. Short sleep to-night, and off first thing, I hope. Monday, February the 12th, return 26. In a very critical situation. All went well in the forenoon, and we did a good long march over a fair surface. Two hours before lunch we were cheered by the sight of our night camp of the 18th December. The day after we made our depot. This showed we were on the right track. In the afternoon, refreshed by tea, we went forward, confident of covering the remaining distance. But by a fatal chance we kept too far to the left, and then we struck up hill, and, tired and despondent, arrived in a horrid maze of crevasses and fissures. Divided councils caused our course to be erratic after this, and finally at 9 p.m. we landed in the worst place of all. After discussion we decided to camp, and here we are, after a very short supper and one meal only remaining in the food bag, the depot doubtful in locality. We must get there tomorrow. Meanwhile we are cheerful, with an effort. It's a tight place, but luckily we've been well fed up to the present. Pray God we have fine weather tomorrow. At this point the bearings of the mid-glacier depot are given, but need not be quoted. Tuesday, February the 13th, Camp Return 27, beside Cloudmaker. Temperature minus 10 degrees. Last night we all slept well, in spite of our grave anxieties. For my part, these were increased by my visits outside the tent, when I saw the sky gradually closing over and snow beginning to fall. By our ordinary time for getting up, it was dense all around us. We could see nothing, and we could only remain in our sleeping bags. At 8.30 I dimly made out the land of the cloudmaker. At nine we got up, deciding to have tea, and with one biscuit, no pemmican, so as to leave our scanty remaining meal for eventualities. We started marching, and at first had to wind our way through an awful turmoil of broken ice. But in about an hour we hit an old moraine track, brown with dirt. Here the surface was much smoother, and improved rapidly. The fog still hung over all, and we went on for an hour, checking our bearings. Then the whole place got smoother, and we turned outward a little. 
Evans raised our hopes with a shout of depot ahead, but it proved to be a shadow on the ice. Then suddenly Wilson saw the actual depot flag. It was an immense relief, and we were soon in possession of our three and a half days' food. The relief to all is inexpressible. Needless to say, we camped and had a meal. Marching in the afternoon, I kept more to the left, and closed the mountain till we fell on the stone moraines. Here Wilson detached himself and made a collection, whilst we pulled the sledge on. We camped late, abreast the lower end of the mountain, and had nearly our usual satisfying supper. Yesterday was the worst experience of the trip, and gave a horrid feeling of insecurity. Now we are right up. We must march. In future, food must be worked, so that we do not run so short if the weather fails us. We mustn't get into a hole like this again. Greatly relieved to find that both the other parties got through safely. Evans seems to have got mixed up with pressures like ourselves. It promises to be a very fine day tomorrow. The valley is gradually clearing. Bowers has had a very bad attack of snow-blindness, and Wilson another almost as bad. Evans has no power to assist with camping work. Wednesday, February the 14th. Lunch temperature, 0 degrees. Supper temperature, minus 1 degrees. A fine day, with wind on and off down the glacier, and we have done a fairly good march. We started a little late, and pulled on down the moraine. At first I thought of going right, but soon, luckily, changed my mind, and decided to follow the curving lines of the moraines. This course has brought us well out on the glacier. Started on crampons. One hour after, hoisted sail. The combined efforts produced only slow speed, partly due to the sandy snowdrifts similar to those on summit, partly to our own torn sledge runners. At lunch these were scraped and sandpapered. After lunch we got on snow, with ice only occasionally showing through. A poor start, but the gradient and wind improving. We did six and a half miles before night camp. There is no getting away from the fact that we are not going strong. Probably none of us. Wilson's leg still troubles him, and he doesn't like to trust himself on ski. But the worst case is Evans, who is giving us serious anxiety. This morning he suddenly disclosed a huge blister on his foot. It delayed us on the march, when he had to have his crampon readjusted. Sometimes I fear he is going from bad to worse. But I trust he will pick up again when we come to steady work on ski, like this afternoon. He is hungry, and so is Wilson. We can't risk opening out our food again, and as cook at present I am serving something under full allowance. We are inclined to get slack and slow with our camping arrangements, and small delays increase. I have talked of the matter to-night, and hope for improvement. We cannot do distance without the ponies. The next depot, some thirty miles away, and nearly three days' food in hand. Thursday, February the 15th, return 29. Lunch temperature minus 10 degrees. Supper temperature minus 4, 13.5 miles. Again, we are running short of provision. We don't know our distance from the depot, but imagine about 20 miles. Heavy march. Did 13 and 3 quarter. Geological. We are pulling for food, and not very strong, evidently. In the afternoon it was overcast, 
land blotted out for a considerable interval. We have reduced food, also sleep, feeling rather done. Trust one and a half days or two at most will see us at Depper. Friday, February the 16th, 12.5 miles, lunch, temperature, minus 6.1 degrees, supper temperature, minus 7 degrees. A rather trying position. Evans has nearly broken down in brain, we think. He is absolutely changed from his normal, self-reliant self. This morning and this afternoon he stopped the march on some trivial excuse. We are on short rations, with not very short food. Spin out till tomorrow night. We cannot be more than ten or twelve miles from the depot, but the weather is all against us. After lunch we were enveloped in a snow-sheet, land just looming. Memory should hold the events of a very troublesome march, with more troubles ahead. Perhaps all will be well, if we can get to our depot to-morrow, fairly early. But it is anxious work with the sick man. But it's no use meeting troubles half-way, and our sleep is all too short to write more. Saturday, February the 17th. A very terrible day. Evans looked a little better after a good sleep, and declared, as he always did, that he was quite well. He started in his place on the traces, but half an hour later worked his ski-shoes adrift, and had to leave the sledge. The surface was awful, the soft recently fallen snow clogging the ski and runners at every step, the sledge groaning, the sky overcast, and the land hazy. We stopped after about one hour, and Evans came up again, but very slowly. Half an hour later he dropped out again on the same plea. He asked Bowers to lend him a piece of string. I cautioned him to come on as quickly as he could, and he answered cheerfully, as I thought. We had to push on, and the remainder of us were forced to pull very hard, sweating heavily. Abreast the monument rock we stopped, and seeing Evans along we astern, I camped for lunch. There was no alarm at first, and we prepared tea in our own meal, consuming the latter. After lunch, and Evans still not appearing, we looked out to see him still afar off. By this time we were alarmed, and all four started back on ski. I was the first to reach the poor man, and shocked at his appearance. He was on his knees, with clothing disarranged, hands uncovered and frostbitten, and a wild look in his eyes. Asked what was the matter. He replied with a slow speech that he didn't know but thought he must have fainted. We got him on his feet, but after two or three steps he sank down again. He showed every sign of complete collapse. Wilson, Bowers, and I went back for the sledge, whilst Oates remained with him. When we returned he was practically unconscious, and when we got him into the tent quite comatose. He died quietly at 12.30 a.m., on discussing the symptoms, we think he began to get weaker just before we reached the pole, and that his downward path was accelerated first by the shock of his frostbitten fingers, and later by falls during rough travelling on the glacier, further by his loss of all confidence in himself. Wilson thinks it certain he must have injured his brain by a fall. It is a terrible thing to lose a companion in this way. 
but calm reflection shows that there could not have been a better ending to the terrible anxieties of the past week. Discussion of the situation at lunch yesterday shows us what a terrible pass we were in, with a sick man on our hands, at such a distance from home. At one a.m. we packed up and came down over the pressure ridges, finding our depot easily. End of chapter 19, part 2